Well, good morning, Moraine Valley Church. I missed you guys. It's great to be back up here. It took a few weeks off practicing for retirement. And so I said, how do you do this thing? So I had to practice that, but boy, I'm really blessed by Don's preaching and uh, his leadership. Your brother, you're such a gift to us and looking forward uh, continually to what God's going to do through our good brother, Don. You know, I want you to put your eyes on the screen for just a moment. I think some of you will be familiar with this scene from a movie. Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Any of you see that movie before? Remember that scene? You can't handle the truth. Actually, that, that movie came out in 1992, but back in 1975, somebody told me the same thing about my life. And I was a believer, going through a struggle at that time. And Pastor Johnson, uh, some of you remember him, was me with him. And uh, he basically told me, says, Pat, I didn't tell you these things because you couldn't handle the truth at that time. And I realized he was right. There were things going on in my heart at that time that couldn't accept the truth because I was just too wrapped up in it. I wasn't able to do it. Well... In A.D. 33, Jesus told his disciples the same thing. You can't handle all the truth right now. But he certainly did it with a different attitude than Jack Nicholson, and I think he did it with a different, for different reasons than I had at that time. Turn to John 16. We're going to take a look at that this morning. A.D. 33. You remember the context of this whole series. Jesus told his, actually 11 at that time, because Judas had departed from the 12. He was talking to his closest followers and he was giving them essential truths that they needed to know during this time from the time that Jesus would leave them and ascend back to his Father until the time he returns in the future to get us. So these truths are essential for this time period we're living in right now while Jesus isn't with us personally, but he's given us his Spirit to not only be with us, but to live inside of us. And these are truths that Jesus said are essential for us during this time. And look at what he said in verse 12 of John 16. So he's been teaching them all these truths. Don and I have been going through that, sharing with you some of these. And Jesus said this, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus says, you can't handle the truth right now. You can't handle I got a lot more I want to tell you. You know, it isn't just these truths in uh, John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 that I want you guys to get. There's a lot more you guys really need to live in this world, but you're not ready for it right now. Now, Jesus never gave the reason why they're not ready. We could speculate about that, but what, what's the use? It doesn't matter. Uh, all we know is this, Jesus said, you're not ready. And therefore, he made a promise to them in light of that fact. And so, this morning, I want to talk about that promise, which follows. And we need to understand this promise that we're going to see in the next few verses, verses 13, 14, and 15. Jesus gave to his disciples... We need to be careful here because a lot of people claim these verses for themselves and they really do not apply to us. They're for the disciples. They're for the 11. And to be honest to the context and to the Greek, which says this is in the second person, Jesus speaking to them in particular, we need to recognize this promise is for them. And so what we find in verse 12 is 
Here's the structure of this. It's very simple. Verse 12, he gives them the need. We just saw that. There's many more things you need to know to live in this world during this time from when I go back to the Father until I return to get you, but you're not ready to handle that. So he gives them a promise regarding those other truths that they're not ready to handle. And then after verse 13, where we see that promise, in verse 14 and 15, he expands upon that promise and explains a little bit more of what he means by it. So watch for that structure. Here's the need for the promise, the promise himself, and then expanding on it as I read in John 16, verses 12 through 15. Listen to this. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Let's take a look at this promise. Simple promise we find in verse 13. And there's two things that Jesus promises that will happen. They're both done by the Holy Spirit. One of the promises we knew that he was going to come once Jesus ascended to the Father. He was going to send him. So now he's talking about that time once the Holy Spirit comes, once he's come to be with you, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to do, first of all, he'll guide you into all truth. So there were some things they needed to know. There were some truths they needed to know, but they weren't ready for it. But when the Spirit comes, he's going to guide them into all the truth they need to know. And so the first thing we know is the Spirit's going to guide them into all truth. And um, what we're going to find here as you read this text, as you listen to this, you understand, Jesus is giving a promise here beforehand regarding the inspiration of Scripture. The fact that the Spirit of God is going to give to the apostles all the truth they need. No, Jude calls it to this, the once for all truth that were handed down to the saints. Jesus is talking about the fact that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's the guy that's going to give you the truth that you need to know that you eventually record in the New Testament. And then he gives a second part of the promise in this. After he says uh, he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears he will speak, he will disclose to you what is to come. Well, what's that? That's the future things. That's prophetic scripture. So any place in the New Testament that talks about the future, he's saying, you know, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal and disclose to you what's going to happen in the future. So really, in a sense, we see all truth, in particular, he says, even prophetic truth in the book of Revelation ultimately come. We know in the book of Revelation, he says, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so it came from Jesus to an angel to John. So ultimately, it was the words of Jesus, again, revealing to them what they need to know. And so Jesus promises the disciples here, he's going to give them everything they need regarding the rest of the truth they're not ready to handle now that ultimately they're going to record for us in the Bible. Now look at back, because verses 14 and 15 expand something. In the middle of those promises, it is for he will not speak of his own initiative, speaking of the Spirit, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Now, if you've been reading through John, you saw a pattern in Jesus' life. What did Jesus say? I speak nothing of my own initiative. My teachings aren't even my own. I didn't come of my own will. I didn't, I didn't come myself. The Father sent me. So what Jesus says repeatedly throughout the book of John is, is that the very words I speak are the Father's words. 
The Father gave to Jesus the very words to speak, and so Jesus spoke those words, and then Jesus said, you know what, if you reject me, you're really rejecting the Father because I'm saying what the Father is saying. You follow me? Well, we see the same thing happening here. Now we're going to see this. He says this, the spirits will glorify me. How? This is how he's going to glorify Jesus, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So in the same pattern that Jesus received his words from the Father and spoke them, and if you accepted Jesus' words, you're accepting Jesus and the Father, you rejected them, you're rejecting Jesus and the Father. Now Jesus is saying, the words that I'm going to give to the Holy Spirit, that he's going to give to you. <laughs> is going to be the same pattern that's going to take place with what Jesus is going to do. And then he says this, because the Holy Spirit isn't speaking of his own initiative. He's taking what he heard. He's going to glorify Jesus with what's going to be said because he's taking Jesus' words and giving you Jesus' words. You follow me? True as you couldn't handle now, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll give you the rest of the truth you need to know because he's going to take that which I've given to him and he's going to speak it to you. And then Jesus says this in verse 15. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. You know what Jesus is saying here? He is saying this, that what, what the Father says is what Jesus says. So what Jesus says to the Spirit, the Spirit says what Jesus says, what the Father says to these apostles. So if you can see what's going on here, we got the Father and Jesus, everything that's mine is his, we're one. He said this over and over in John, my words are one, our essence is one, and you know, everything I do, my will and his is one. Well, Jesus is saying this oneness between him and the Father, that basically what he's going to give to the Holy Spirit is exactly what the Father would say, it's exactly what I would say, it's what the Spirit would say, and he's going to give it to the disciples, and he's going to, they're going to record it in the Word of God called the Scripture. So to hear what the Word of God says is to hear what the Spirit of God says, which happens to be what Jesus would say, which happens to be what the Father would say. They're all one. They don't diverge from one another. And so the promise here Jesus is giving is a tremendous promise of the work of God in giving the disciples the rest of the truth that they need to know, which by God's grace they recorded in a book called the Bible. Now turn back to John 14 for a second. Here, Jesus spoke of this earlier and gave us a similar thing. I hope I, did, did you follow me? Did I lose you? Does it make, it's right there in the scripture. I hope you got it. You know what? He's going to teach everything you need to know. You can't handle it yet. You're not ready for it. But when the Spirit comes, he'll give you the rest of what you need to go. And by the way, he's going to give you what I say, and I say what the Father says. That's what this whole passage is saying. Now we go back to John 14 and we see the same idea. Jesus said this in verse 25 of John 14, these things I've spoken to you while abiding with you. Here again, same thing. Here I am, I'm with you. These are the things I'm speaking to you while I'm with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said. See, in the last verse, he was going to guide him into all truth. Now he's going to teach him all truth. Basically saying this, you know what? The Holy Spirit's going to give you the understanding of the words that I speak. You're going to, under, you're going to get it. You're going to understand the significance of what I say. You're going to understand these words. They're going to make sense. The Holy Spirit's going to open up your mind to understand. You're going to get light shine. These words in this book the Holy, or well, I should say for the book, because this is speaking to them, that the, the truth that Jesus speaks to them, they're going to understand it because the Holy Spirit's going to make them understand it. And he's going to bring to remembrance all I said. Well, you say, how did these 
people who wrote the Gospels remember all that Jesus said and did? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit brought back to them, even though they wrote it years afterwards, the Holy Spirit, Jesus promised, is going to bring back to remembrance all that I said. And so we see here, if you put these two promises together, I say it this way. Jesus is promising the disciples that the Holy Spirit will give them understanding and teach them the significance of all truth. He will give them the words for the gospel by reminding them what Jesus said. He will even give them all the truth for living now and in the future in the book of Acts, the epistles, all the prophetic scripture in the New Testament. So this promise is that the Holy Spirit is going to give you guys everything you need to know about the truth. Now, Paul states something very similar in 2 Timothy, and I'm going to put it on on the screen here for you to see it. Now, Jesus made the promise. Paul's not making a promise here. Paul's stating a fact now. (laughs) And Paul's stating the fact that all Scripture is inspired by God. Now, let me break down a few words for you. Well, let's, let's say this, because we're going to come back to it later. And it's profitable for what? Teaching. Teach you how to live, how to be saved, teach you everything you need to know about life, especially between the time Jesus left and coming back. For reproof, that's say, hey, whoa, wait a minute, you're going the wrong way. For correction, well, you're going the wrong way? How do I get back on the right track? Well, the Word of God is going to teach you how to get back on the right track. Training in righteousness, he's going to teach you how you can stay on the right track so you don't keep on falling off and getting back on. So this inspired Word, this Word inspired by God, the Scriptures, is profitable to do that. Teach us how to live for God, show us when we're off the path, teach us how to get back on the path, and teach us how to stay on the path. Well, the word Scripture means this. It's simply the Greek words, it's writings. So scripture isn't the voice of God. Scripture is the writings that have come from this process we just talked about. What the Father says, Jesus says. What Jesus says, the Holy Spirit says. The Holy Spirit says he teaches it to these apostles. And then what happened? They wrote it down. And so now all these writings in a book we call the Bible are inspired by God. The writings are and the inspired means this, breathed. So you know what? When you speak, Dan and Lori, guess what? You know what? I had to have surgery many years ago on my polyps because I spoke wrong. I spoke from my throat all the time. And I had to learn how to speak so that the breath would carry my words rather than trying to speak from my throat and, and just trying to speak like that. So what he's saying here, and when you stop and think about it, when we speak, it's breath that carries our words. And what he's saying here is is that, go ahead and leave that up, Pete, for a few more seconds. What he's saying is that all the writings of this book, all three of those words have been carried by God himself, his breath. He, these words come from God. Now, when he says inspired, he's not talking like a poem or a song that really kind of moved me. No, he's talking about the fact that these words came from God himself. And that what God did is that, as we can see, Jesus gave to the Spirit, and the Spirit breathed these words out to the writers of Scripture in such a way that what they wrote ended up being the very words of God. So I wonder what God thinks. Well, guess what? We know what God thinks. We know what God says because he moved on these human authors. Yes, flawed human beings just like us, but God did a supernatural miracle. And even through flawed man, he came, and the end results were words that were written down that we now have in a book that are the very words of God. And he did it without compromising their personality and without compromising their own personal writing style. 
That's the miracle of Scripture. And God did something that he promised in John, and Paul comes back and affirms that it's happened. That means this. Matter of fact, what does God say in the Psalms? He elevates his word with his name. In God's view, now this isn't a lot of man's view today, but in God's view, he holds his word at the same level as he does his own name and his own character. And so what we see here is that these are truly the words of God. It's a unique book like no other book in the world. How many of us go chasing after our favorite author, our favorite speaker, our favorite whatever? I got to get everything they've read or everything they've written, and I go listen to everything they say. We should be chasing after our God. And what he says, because this book is like no other book. It records the words of God. This is what David says about it. They're more desirable than gold. Yeah, even much fine gold. Sweeter than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. This book is a holy book like no other. I'll tell you what, it's worth seeking this book more than it's worth seeking more money. And it's sweet to the soul. So that's kind of the heart. I, I, I'm, let me check my notes, guys, because I, I really got, I, messed, I said a lot of stuff I don't know when I say, yeah. We'll skip that part because I already did it. It was supposed to come later, but I already did it. So let's go. What does all this mean to you and me? Well, let, let's do that. What does that mean to you and me? A promise to these guys in 8033? So what, Pat? What are you telling us this about? How does that impact me? There's gigantic implications for the words that Jesus told the Spirit who gave it to the apostles who recorded it now in a book once and for all for us to have in our hands. And the first one is this. This really is the Word of God and it's reliable. It's reliable for my life and yours. Pete, put up... um, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. I love this passage. For this reason, we also constantly thank God when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. Can I encourage you, when you receive the word of God, what you hear from me, what you hear from Don, Mike, Josh, whoever's in this pulpit, this is what he's saying. You know, he thanked God because they received it and accept not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God. This, you know, and of course, we've got to be like the Bereans. I'm not saying whatever Pat says is what God says. We need to go home and say what Pat said doesn't match up with the, what the Scripture says. So, you know, I'm not suggesting that Mike and Don and Josh and myself are what we say is what God says, but if what we say is consistent with this book, <laughs> like the Bereans say, that was the Word of God. Go home and check us out and make sure it's so. And so what we see here is that Paul was saying, you know, what we speak, this, what he was bringing to the people was not just man's opinions and man's words. This Bible really is the word of God. And then he goes on and says this, which also performs its work in you who believe. It does a transformational work. You get into this book and you start to accept it, not just as another book, but as the words of God. And now I'm listening with a whole different ear because this is what God says. Now I'm going, that, God, that, that word, Romans 12. Uh, boy, I wish I could remember Romans 12 right now. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we come into this book and God's word gets inside of us and it begins to transform us and change us and does a miracle within us. This book, these words are the words of God. So that says this. The the words in the upper room discourse are not only essential for the time from when Jesus left till return, but all the words of the New Testament 
are essential. Because bottom line, all the words in the New Testament are the words of Jesus, right? Because Jesus gave them to the Holy Spirit, who gave them to the apostles, who recorded them. Now let me give you a second implication out of that. Jesus' words in the Gospels are not superior to the rest of the New Testament. You you, got to hear me now, because some people do what you call the red letters and the black letters. All of a sudden, the red letters in Scripture, those are this big. The black letters are this big. That's an unbiblical, unwarranted, unscriptural, unlogical conclusion to make. Because if we follow what we just heard, all the words come from Jesus. The ones they were ready to handle at that time, plus the words they weren't ready to handle that the Holy Spirit promised he would give to them. And so all the words of the New Testament come from Jesus. As a matter of fact, remember back in John 16, verse 14, he said, he will glorify me for he will take that which is mine. This, you know what? Jesus is glorified by the whole New Testament. He's the heart of the story, and ultimately he's the one who gave the words to the whole New Testament through the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, some of you say, well, wait a minute, Paul wasn't one of those 11, but remember what Paul said in Galatians 1? He said, the gospel I receive... I didn't receive it from man. I didn't learn it from man, but I received it from Jesus. So where did Paul learn the things he learned? Directly from Jesus. So all the writings of Paul, where did he get? He's saying, I didn't get this from man. I didn't even learn this from man. Jesus himself taught me on these words. And so the words recorded by the New Testament are all the words of Jesus. And so we're a church that wants to do be with Jesus, we want to become like Jesus, and we want to do what Jesus did. But I think to be faithful to what Jesus did, we don't limit ourselves to the Gospels and what Jesus did there. Because Jesus, and what Jesus said there, Jesus gave us all the words of the New Testament, and Jesus is saying, all of this reveals me, all of this glorifies me, all of this shows you how you walk and live for me. And so, The New Testament needs to be held, all of it, at the same level, and not necessarily the red words are up here and the black words are down here. You might be saying, Pat, why say? Because they're, and I'm going to tell you, I'll save that for a second. I've really gone out of order this morning, but I trust it's the Holy Spirit's order. But uh, listen to 1 John 2. 1 John 2, 27 says this, As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. He's speaking to believers now. And you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just that it has taught you, you abide in him. John 15 is the promise for, or John 16 is the promise for the disciples that God will give them the words to record in Scripture. Guess what? 1 John 2 is the promise the Holy Spirit is going to help us understand those words. He's the one who teaches us. And so we have the Spirit who gives the words to the disciples who recorded it in the Holy Book, and we have the Holy Spirit who's the one who teaches us as we read those words and helps us understand them. So the promise of John 16 is to the 11. The promise of 1 John 2 is to all of us. And the same, so when we read this book, this isn't about getting the grammar right, getting the culture right, getting the history right, getting the context right. This is about the Spirit of God opening up your eyes And supernaturally, as the scripture says, God opened up my eyes and I went, behold, wonderful things. It's like on the road to Emmaus, 
when Jesus and the Father says that even Jesus was speaking and teaching, but they didn't get it, the Scripture says, until God opened their minds to understand. So you're the best teacher in the world teaching you, unless the Spirit of God does a work inside of a person to understand these things and get it. So the other than that, it's going to be grammar and context and all that other kind of stuff. And so there's a deep need for us as believers to depend upon the one who gave the words for the book to teach us what those words mean. You know, this is important for this reason. Satan's first attack and primary attack is always against God's word. Go back to the garden, right? What happened with Eve? Didn't he attack God's word to get her off center in her relationship with God? First of all, he misquoted what God said. And he said, uh, God said you can't eat of any tree. No, no, no. God said you couldn't eat of this one tree. What he did is he took their eyes off of the blessing. God said, you can eat of all these trees except for one. I got them focused on the one thing they can't have. Say, no, no, no. You can't have this. So Satan takes the word, misquotes it, and said, God said you can't eat of any trees. This, this God isn't good. He, he's holding good things back from you. So first of all, he misquoted the word. And then he got them to doubt the consequences of God's word. Come on, you surely won't die. If you eat of this, you're not going to die, are you? You know, a good God isn't going to let you die just for doing that. And so Satan's first attack was against God's word, misquote it, misinterpret it, get you to doubt it. And that's still his tactic today. He's working against us to get us to misquote, misunderstand, misinterpret, or to get us to doubt it. Why would that be? It's very simple. The Word of God, if this is the truth, and the words from God himself and Jesus, remember what Jesus said, if you reject my words, you're not just rejecting me, you're rejecting the Father. And so to reject the words that Jesus gave to these people to record for us, all of a sudden, now this is the place where we learn all truth. So people say, yeah, forget about all that theology and that just give me Jesus. I mean, that's, come on, man, get off it. Well, where, do you, where, where does your understanding of Jesus come from? Because if you remove the word of God, what Jesus are you talking about? Who is that Jesus? Now he's a Jesus made in the image of man rather than man being made in the image of Jesus. And when we talk about God, we talk about morality, we talk about salvation, we talk about the future, we talk about anything, it all comes down, this is the foundation which we learn about these things. And so, if the foundations are off, and that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to get us to doubt it. Come on, did God really say that? Didn't God say this instead? God's really not going to do that. Come on, that doesn't mean that. And so what we find is Satan is attacking man today because if he can break the foundation of God's word off, guess what? Now, God, Jesus, our lifestyle, everything about what we're called to is put in question and now it's in man's hands to determine what morality looks like, what truth looks like, what God looks like. You can't separate the Word of God from the person of God. Now, they're two, they're two different. I'm not trying to say the Word is God. But I will tell you this, if you move this out, you're not going to know who God is. You've got to have this to know the God who you're, uh, you're living for. And so Satan wants to attack our understanding and our belief in God's word. You know, and I'm, let me tell you this. I'm not talking about the world attacking the church. Actually, it's happening within the church. And there's portions of the body of Christ that are attacking uh, the word of God right now. So what they do is they can reinterpret the Christian faith. 
For instance, they may struggle with passages that have to do with God's judgment or wrath. And so, because, because it doesn't fit their definition of love. A definition of love that they've pulled out of the context of Scripture, and they've created their own definition of love, which is always being kind and gentle and doing the best for somebody. And that doesn't fit that, so instead they reject portions or uh, reinterpret portions that have to do with God's wrath or judgment. We had 10 brothers from here. I should say eight of them were from here, two were from outside Moraine. We met last summer over at George's house. Uh, we, we, We did a study for the big story of the Bible together, guys from 70 years old down to 20, a great mixture of people. And one of the guys in the group said this when we were talking about the scripture. He'd gone to a Bible college, and they told him this, that basically the writers of the scripture were flawed in their view about women because they came from a patriarchal society. And they were influenced by that society and culture. Therefore, what they wrote wasn't really what God wanted. Now, that's from a Christian school. And my brothers can testify uh, that being said in our hearing. A Christian school saying, you know what? You can't trust these words because the writers of these words were influenced by their culture. And therefore, what they had to say isn't correct. Again, that's from Christians. When it comes to today's morality, and uh, there's many points where the scripture's very clear on what it calls for us in sexuality and relationships and marriage and other areas of life. And what we find is, is that some people, Christians again, start with the lens of the culture. And what's going on today, a loving God would judge nobody. A loving God's going to accept everybody. And our culture says, this is, the, this is acceptable. This is what gender is. This is what marriage is. This is what whatever is. And so they interpret the scripture in light of what their lens say. We, we at Moraine Valley and other churches like us We put on the lens of the scripture and we look at the culture and we say, wait a minute, this is what God says about us. This is what the truth is. This is reality. Now, this is what's happening. And I I want want you to catch my heart here. I'm 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 trying to speak with grace and truth Compassion and conviction, I hope you hear that. I'm not trying to beat people up, but we got to know the truth. Yes, we have to walk with love and, and compassion. And I, I've preached about that before. And so please don't take my message out of the context of that. But today's about the truth. And you, we read it a few minutes ago, and this is what's happening today among many Christians. Not many, I'm going to say a small group of Christians, it's not many. But let me tell you this, by the way. I can give you a list of Christians like you and me that believe what we're saying today years ago and they shifted. What the scriptures say, take heed, he that thinks he stand, lest he fall. You know, if you think, I'm okay, I got it right, I'm good. You know what, man, we're wide open for the enemy to come in and take us off. We got to walk humbly daily depending on Jesus because there's many people who believe what I believe, believe what you believe, what Moraine Valley believes, who years later, shifted. But you got to ask yourself, is this what the scripture says? And is it true of the scripture? Because this is what has happened today among many Christians. What the scripture said, we saw earlier, all scripture, all the writings, all the stuff recorded in this book. And by the way, you might say, I did three messages about a year and a half ago about this book. It's the original autographs that were inspired by God. There's transmission of scripture, there's manuscripts of scripture, there's textual criticism, there's different translations. We talked about all that. But when it comes to the book, the the letter that was written by that apostle, 
And what we learned in that time is this book is very reliable. Very, even those who don't believe what we believe will say, when they do textual criticism, say this book is reliable. And so when what I see happening today in a small branch of Christians is that when it says that the writings were breathed out by God and profitable for what? For teaching? For reproof? For correction? You know what's happening? Man, rather than being reproved by Scripture when it says something we don't like, man is reproving Scripture. We say, we don't like that in the Word. And we got to change that. That isn't really what God said. And brothers and sisters, may God give us the grace to be humble, to be faithful, to keep us. It's God's keeping that keeps us. It's not my hard efforts. But brothers and sisters, when we come into a portion of the Word of God we don't like, the problem is not the Word, it's us. And we need to be reproved by that. And we need to humble ourselves under that. And we need to ask God for grace to adjust our lives to not only believe what's right, but to live what's right. And so today, Satan is attacking the Word of God within the Christian church. Again, I'm not, ah, the world, the world. No, 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 I'm talking about the church. There's a segment of it that's rising up and gaining greater influence that is attacking the Word of God. Because again, if we can get you to question the word, guess what? Now we can interpret what Christianity looks like and what it's defined by. Jesus said this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Wait a minute, what did Jesus say? Well, the only place I know what Jesus says is what he gave to the Spirit that he gave to the writers of the New Testament to record in the writings, which Paul said, these are all breathed out by God. This is the once and for all truth. This is the truth. If you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do it, you know what this is? This is an attack against the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because no longer is it a matter of what Jesus says, and I'm submitting to that, because that's what it means ultimately for Jesus to be your Lord. Jesus said it, I'm doing it. But if I say Jesus said it, but I don't believe that, or I doubt it, or I'm not going to do that, or I'm going to change it, or this part doesn't fit the kind of image of God that I have of a loving God, you have really had an attack against the Lordship of Jesus. You know, I prayed a lot about my heart, because this stuff is so important today. Preachers not only are to encourage and bless, we are to warn. I guess today's a warning. I, I just realized that because um, I prayed a lot. I said, God, I, I don't want to sound like one of those railing old guys beating everybody up, but I want the truth to come out. This is a warning today. It's a warning even for a church like Moraine because there's many who in the past, right where Moraine is, who in the future went someplace else. So I thank God for a man like Don Kaufman. Matter of fact, you know, as I listened to Don last week, I couldn't help but write Don a text and say, I don't even know if you're here this morning. Don, are you here or are you at the beach today? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, maybe he'll listen to it later. But I wrote Don this text. I said, Don, as I listened to you preach this morning, my heart was filled that for close to seven or eight years, me and a group of men have been praying that God would send us a man of the word. And I said, Don, you're that man. You're doing it. He's a man of the word. And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, but you need to pray for your pastor. Pray for Don. Pray for his family. Pray for Mike. Pray for Josh. Pray for Ava. You know, it keeps going on. The list of the whole staff. Just pray for us that we'd be faithful and that Moraine will be faithful to be a voice in the midst of this world today where people can come and find out, what does God say? Where if God says something, we're willing to be reproved by that rather than reproving the word because it says it. So I guess today's been a warning. But let me finish with this. This truth is so crucial, we have to build our lives off of God's word. Listen to this passage in Psalm 12. 
Now I will arise, says the Lord. He's speaking to those who are in the midst of difficulty and affliction. That, that's the context. So now, you know, he's, coming, he's praying, God, where are you? Come, Lord. He says, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he longs. God, see, this is what God says. Then he reassures him with this. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace on earth, refined seven times. You know what he's saying? He's assuring him what God says God's going to do. He's saying, you know, you, you can bet your life on it. The Lord says he's going to come and he's going to rise and he's going to bring you to the safety that you long for. He says, you know what? You can depend on it. You can trust because God's words are pure, 100% pure, unmixed with nothing that will make them in any way inferior or unclean. They're pure words, and they are, they are words that are tried, he says. God's words are pure. They're tried. Hey, you know what? You can depend on what God's saying here because guess what? His words have been put to the test and they've been proven true and dependable. They are what he says they will be. And so now we have where we have God saying, not, he's saying, okay, I say this, well, guess what? You can depend on it because what God says is pure. That, that's enough right there. But he answers us, says, guess what? These were tried. Now listen to what he says. And they, they've been refined seven times. You know what refined means? Refining is the process where they put a metal in a big heated furnace and all the impurities come to the surface. They clean out the impurities so what comes back is a pure, stronger piece of metal. Uh, just in a pure form. And so, and I got to be honest with you, when I think of that, I'm thinking of steel. I'm not sure gold. I don't know if gold comes out softer or harder, but it comes out pure. That much I know. And so now we've got words that are pure already. They're already 100% pure. They've been tried and proven. And um, now he says, they even went in the furnace and were refined. But they weren't only refined once. They were refined seven times. It's kind of like that process. I have brothers that worked in the steel industry. So did my dad, so I understand this a little bit. So they would put the metal in. They would, they would heat it up in the furnace. They'd pull it out. But guess what? They wouldn't just do it once. They'd go put it back in again, and then more impurities would come up. Well, this is what he's saying right here. God, you can count on God's word. You can bet on the fact he's going to show up. He's telling them right here in the Psalms because his words are pure, because they've been tried and proven, and he has refined them not one time, not two times, not three times, not four times, not five times, not six times, seven times he's taken try, a pure and tried words and he's refined it. What he's trying to say is, guess what? You can count on it. What God says, you can count on. We must build our life, our ministry, and our church. And I, I do know that our church is seeking, has been, continues to, and will seek to. But I'm talking now about our lives. We got to build it off of the truth that Jesus, who says the same thing the Father says, told the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit heard Jesus say it. Jesus gave it to the disciples. They wrote it down in a book. And now we have the privilege of knowing what God says. And we must build our life off. And building our life off, it takes us from just knowing what it says to living what it says, to doing what it says, to shaping my life, shaping my marriage, shaping my child rearing, shaping my morality, shaping my finances, shaping my fill in the blank. How should I do it? The first place I'm going to run is not to the experts of the world and what they say. I'm going to run to the one who created me and created marriage and created parenting. The one who, who I mean, you guys know who God is. I, you know, I start trying to do that, I'll take another hour. But he has given us the gift of his word. We must build our life off of this word. And this is what Jesus said as he closed. 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Not only to know it, but to do it, to shape your life, let your thinking be transformed by it. The very words of Jesus that are recorded in this book by means of the Holy Spirit speaking to man so that what's done is the very words of God. You know, God's given us, and I'll close with that. I'm sorry, I didn't realize I'd go this long, but uh, God's given us a visual image of this. Do you know that the Leaning Tower of Pisa, you know why it's leaning? It was built on sand. The foundation was built on sand. And so therefore, at this point right now, it's leaning, I think, by 12 feet. It keeps on gradually and slowly moving. Eventually, that's going to fall. You might say, well, hey, I'm not living by God's word. My life hasn't collapsed. Give it time. Give it time. Keep it up. And your life will crash like the Tower of Pisa. Someday will crash if Jesus doesn't come back first. And more importantly, as Jesus said, if you don't build your life on this book, you will crash when the storms come. I've lived long enough, guys, to see areas of my life that crash because I didn't do it God's way, to see other people where it's happened. I want to encourage you at Moraine Valley. I want to encourage me. Guys, we need to build our life off of what God says as recorded in this book. So, Father, I just want to pray now. And, Lord, I... I guess this is what happens when you got three weeks off and a lot of time to think. But Lord, I just, uh, I pray that you would take your word today. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will do what only he can do. Like I said, Jesus, the best teacher in the world. God, when he spoke, they didn't understand until the Holy Spirit opened their eyes. I pray that the Spirit of God today would open the hearts and the minds of every person in this room and speak to us where we need it, Lord. Where maybe we're fudging a little bit. Maybe where we're reproving the scripture rather than letting the scripture reprove us. But God, I want to pray that you would take this message, guard our lives, and make us people who build our lives off of Jesus and his words. It's in his name I pray. Amen.